the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the HD Movie Podcast. It's 2024. Happy New Year. I'm Darren Gaskell. And a happy new year from me as well, Hayley Alice Roberts. And we kick off 2024 with a movie that has recently made its appearance on Prime after a very successful cinema run here in the UK. We've given you enough time to watch it now, so it will be a very spoilerific discussion. We are diving into the murky world of Emerald Fennel's Saltburn. We're back in 2020, remember 2020. Writer-director Emerald Fennel burst onto the scene with her feature film debut, Promising Young Woman which received rave reviews from pretty much all concerned. She's back with another twisted tale, this time set in a weird stately home. It's Saltburn. And you must have been living under a rock if you haven't been made aware of Saltburn. Everybody is talking about this movie and we're going to get into why in this whole episode. For me, this movie has just blown me away. I haven't been this excited about a film in a very long time. This kind of feels like my new Cruel Intentions. It is currently my favourite movie at the moment, my new favourite movie. So we'll get into all that. But before we do, I'm going to just read the synopsis directly from Prime, which is the home of Saltburn, just to give you a little taste of the bathwater of what this film is all about. Academy Award-winning filmmaker Emerald Fennell brings us a beautifully wicked tale of privilege and desire. Struggling to find his place at Oxford University, student Oliver Quick finds himself drawn into the world of the charming and aristocratic Felix Catton, who invites him to Saltburn, his eccentric family's sprawling estate, for a summer never to be forgotten. And I think that's kind of all you need to know going into this film. It's one that I would say avoid spoilers. So as Darren said at the beginning, if you haven't watched it, stop this right now. Head on to Prime. It's included in your membership. Watch this movie. Be prepared to go on a wild ride with it. I didn't know what to expect going into this. I just heard it was one of the most talked about films. And I heard that it had disturbing elements in it. I was going to test my boundaries. And yeah, ultimately I was fine with this. But I was very much captivated, compelled, hugely invested in this film. It's beautiful to look at. The characters are so twisted and interesting. And it's one of those films that it has a lot of twists and turns and you just kind of get suckered into wanting to know where it's going to go next. And as I said, there are quite disturbing visceral elements in it that you can't take your eyes off the screen once these moments are happening. Yeah, it's interesting, the reaction of people to Saltburn. And it does open up a conversation about have people got more prudish about watching movies? 
There's been a lot of discussion about people not liking sex scenes in movies anymore. Lots of people saying that they're not necessary. Lots of people saying that they are not part of the story and we don't need to see them. Which probably accounts for some of the hyperbole surrounding this movie because I was going in expecting something really, really transgressive. Now, it might be because I've spent a couple of decades watching movies that a lot of people have found genuinely offensive. And it may be that I've got a higher tolerance for this sort of thing. But overall, it's a movie that is made for adults, specifically 15 year and above adults. So if you're going into this movie expecting to be completely shocked and so grossly offended by the content in Saltburn, remember, the BBFC think that 15 year olds can watch this movie. Yes, there are some suggestively rude bits, but I was less shocked than I thought I would be. I was preparing for something really, really out there. And when it got to the rude bits, I thought, you know what? Yeah, they're fairly rude, but they're done with a level of taste that you don't actually expect from the previous hype about this movie. Now, it doesn't get in the way of the story or anything. It doesn't make the movie any less interesting or well-written or twisty. But I was quite surprised that I went into this movie thinking, Where's the, where are the shocks going to be? And I was really, really preparing for those. And then at the end, I thought, well, yes, I guess if you've not seen anything like this before, there are a couple of things in the movie which you think, you know, maybe that's a little bit much. But for somebody like me, I was thinking, you know, that's all fine. It's okay. And it kind of plays into the plot anyway. There's nothing particularly gratuitous about this movie. Yes, there are certain elements where you just think, yeah, that's quite gross. That's a little bit disgusting. But it's all to do with the story. And it's all to do with how Oliver Quick is manipulating these people. And I don't think that people complaining about the content of it. I think, you know, I mean, I don't want to say look, it's an adult film, fucking grow up. But it's an adult film, fucking grow up. At the start of it as well, it does give you a massive hint as to what's going on, but you have to listen to the version of Zadok the Priest that is going on at the start of this movie. Because if you listen to the soundtrack very carefully, at the point where the normal version of Zadok the Priest, the choir cut scene, and the line is Zadok the Priest, it's replaced with Oliver Quick, Long Live the King. So you kind of know where it's going to go if you've listened to the opening bit of the soundtrack. But if you've missed it, then you'll be a little bit more surprised. One of the things that partly infuriated me, but partly made me smile about this movie, is that the soundtrack is pointing you in the direction all the time. It's got things like Destroy Everything You Touch by Lady Tron on the soundtrack. Now, I love Lady Tron. Anytime somebody puts Lady Tron on the soundtrack, that goes up an extra couple of points in my book. But there's all these bits of soundtrack information where it's like, oh, by the way, this is what's happening and this is what the music is telling you as well. So I think for people that want a little bit more subtlety about it, the music cues are going to drive you fucking nuts. The music is great. The soundtrack's fantastic in this movie, but I'm just warning people, if you trying to be led along and thinking, oh, what's going to happen next? Then the music is going to say, well, this is what's happening now, and this is what probably is going to happen next. That said, Saltburn is full of stuff that is going to 
divide people, I think. I think some people are going to absolutely hate this movie. I didn't. I'm not sure it's a masterpiece. I'm not sure it's good as Promising Young Woman, but I had a really good time with it. And it gets better as it goes along. I thought the first 25 minutes were a bit draggy, but as it picks up, as he gets to the stately home, and as the shenanigans all kick in, I was pretty much hooked. And the last act is fucking brilliant. It's so good. Yeah, it's utterly warped. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the disturbing moments in this, they are very tastefully shot. And it is meant to make you squirm to a degree. I mean, everyone's going to squirm at these moments. Basically, the shot in the bathtub. I mean, the first time (laughs) I saw that scene, I was like, okay, this is a bit disgusting. This is getting a bit too close. And I was like, that plug hole looks a bit grim. What is he doing? But you just roll with it. And I watched this movie twice in one day. So I watched it on my own. And I didn't really take everything in the first time. So I went for a rewatch because my husband hadn't seen it. And I was just sitting there smiling to myself, wondering how he was going to (laughs) react to certain moments. (laughs) But it, it is one of those where, like, I suppose it is trying to push the boundaries. But if you're kind of like us that, you know, we've seen quite a fair bit of stuff in our time. We are horror fans, so it will it would take a lot to unnerve us. But as you say, it works perfectly within the story. There's nothing that just feels really out of left field. And this movie is so cleverly crafted. As you say, all the music cues in there, there's just like so much. If you go back and watch it, everything leads up to what happens. So I think the trailer, on the other hand, tries to sway you the other way and makes you think like, okay, this is going to be this innocuous guy who's going to go to this mansion and he's going to be corrupted by these wealthy people and something really dark is going to happen to him. But it completely subverts itself. It's delightful. It's satisfying. It is dark as fuck, but it is a satire. And I think that's how you have to play it. It's it's very over the top. The characterizations are over the top, the way they portray the wealthy in this. And the way they speak to each other, it's all like very overdramatic. And I and I love that. I just I just love the dynamics between the family, between Oliver and the family. It's just all very, very carefully curated. And everything is there, as you say, like from visual cues to music cues. It just works and culminates in a very satisfying piece. I just really, really loved this movie because I just became so drawn into it. And I, I think maybe I loved it probably a lot more than you did. Let's say I've got the poster behind me now. I work in a cinema, so I was offered a poster and I was just like jumping at the chance. I took my Megan poster down and now I have Saltburn. Basically a silhouette of a naked or half-naked Jacob Elordi. So that makes me very happy. Just seeing him on screen as well because he is utterly beautiful. And I felt that the way, I suppose, the characters are shot, everybody just looks incredible in this as well. It's like it does seduce you, I guess, to a point. I think you're being seduced into this world along with Oliver. And that's what's really cool about it. Talking about other maybe gross out scenes, there's something involving menstrual blood. And um, again, you get quite a close up shot. Again, it's, it's in the dark, but you get this quite arty shot at the end of him in water with this blood smeared around his mouth. And it's just, you know, part of the whole drama of it, how he's basically getting under everybody's skin and he's going to push the boundaries as far as possible. And I suppose a lot of people might agree as well. One of the most shocking moments in this film is following the murder of Felix 
basically Oliver has sex with his grave, essentially. And I mean, I don't think I've seen that in a movie before. It's like getting, it's bordering on necrophilia, but doesn't quite go there. It's, it is basically pushing your buttons. It's basically suggesting something quite disturbing, but not fully going there, but doing enough to make you think. And it's, it's a very prolonged scene as well. As I say, this film just has these really dark moments, but I just really enjoyed it. Which probably says more about us than it does about <laughs> the general audience of this. But yeah, I mean, that graveyard bit, that goes on a really long time. And you just think, where's it going next? And then he's like, oh, he's getting his kit off. And he's like, oh, he's uh, fucking the grave. But yeah, cool. But I like the fact that it's a wind up. These scenes in this movie, they're winding you up. They're trying to push your buttons. They're trying to get you to have a reaction about this. And it makes me smile that there are so many people having conniptions about this movie saying, oh, it's disgusting. It's really, really perverse. It's like, well, I can show you movies that are more disgusting and perverse than this. And again, as I say, this is all within the confines of the plot. There's nothing particularly gratuitous in any of the stuff that goes on here. Yes, it's shot in a particular way. Yes, it's trying to make you feel something, basically. Normally revulsion or disgust. But if it's making you feel those things, at least it's making you feel something. As for the cast, they're in complete contrast to the dark and seedy goings on. They all look... As you say, beautiful. They're all lit and shot really well. Everybody looks gorgeous. I am going to have to say it. I am a little bit in love with Rosamund Pike in this movie. I am a little bit in love with Rosamund Pike full stop, but certainly in this movie. Even though she plays a character who is so out of touch with everything. But that's part of her charm. She's not really trying to be offensive to anybody. She's not trying to hurt everybody. She just comes from a different bubble of society and she cannot connect with people who are outside that bubble she tries her best but she can't really do it she's got two well she's got more than two great lines in this movie but there's one line where she says that she tried to be a lesbian once but it was all too wet because men are lovely and dry which cracked me up no end and then there's a bit later on where she reveals that she thinks pulp common people song is about her but she said i don't come from greece and about the thirst for knowledge bit she says i've never wanted to know about anything which is hilarious i mean she's sending herself up something chronic in this so love rosamund pike in this love carrie mulligan in this as well she's just not in this film enough she is a character that is an absolute car crash of a woman she doesn't even have a surname she's referred to in the cast list as poor dear Pamela and poor dear Pamela has had it tough her life is a complete mess and she is basically staying with the family because of a recent disaster in her life but Kerry Mulligan obviously star of Promising Young Woman absolutely brilliant in that she's just given a couple of scenes in this movie and it's a shame that she's not in more but there's a reason that she's not in it more she has to leave the plot fairly early on, which is a bit of a shame, but it drives the second half of the movie on with her out of the way. She's kind of comedic relief in the middle act. The rest of the cast, terrific. Richard E. Grant, fantastic. Love Richard E. Grant. He's great in this. Archie uh, Madwekwe plays Farley, who's a really devious little shit. 
who thinks he's onto Oliver's game, but realises that tangling with Oliver isn't quite as simple as he first thought. Having said that, Farley is one of the people who makes it out at the end. Farley is still around at the end of this movie, so there are questions left unanswered when Saltburn's credits roll. It's like, what is Farley going to do? He could come back. It ties up most of the loose ends, this plot, but there are some intriguing what-ifs at the end of the movie, one of which being Farley and Oliver really don't get on. Now, with the place that Oliver finds himself at the end of the movie, how is that going to sit with Farley? Is he going to come back and try to do something? We're never told. It depends if we get Saltburn to Farley's Revenge. That is the hope. But, I mean, I don't think this movie needs a sequel. It is perfection on its own, in my opinion. And I just think a sequel wouldn't really add much to it. We've got everything we've needed from this. And, I mean, a few people have described this movie as a bit hollow, that it looks substance, that it doesn't do enough. But I completely disagree with that. It's doing exactly what it's meant to be doing. It knows what it's doing. It's completely winking at the audience throughout. It's constantly drip-feeding all these cues, as we've said, to the audience. And it's kind of one of those where you think it's going to go one way. Like, you do wonder, oh, is he going to sleep with the mother or is he going to eventually sleep with Felix you you know it gives you all these hints constantly but it doesn't quite go there and I think there's that sort of sexual frustration for Oliver throughout of it and as you say it could go in predictable directions but it doesn't and I think that's what's great about it you're thinking it's going to go one way and it does the total opposite very subversive very clever It doesn't want to give the audience what they think they're going to get. It wants to do something totally different, which I absolutely love. And going back to this whole idea of modern audiences having this prudishness about them, like I am wondering, is it because it is very much focused on male sexuality in this film, male objectification? It's turning the whole male gaze trope on its head, which I really like, I suppose, as a woman seeing these beautiful men on screen getting to see male nudity it's refreshing because obviously it's always been objectifying women in film especially in horror it's been there from the beginning of time so this is kind of different but it's it's done in a tasteful way as i've said so that's why i don't think there's anything to be offended by at all but emerald fennell herself has you know said this is a love story and it is it's an unrequited love story at the end of the day this is about somebody who yeah is very manipulative but i think He does love Felix, as he does say. He said he wasn't in love with him, but he loves him. He is drawn into his world, and he is able to get him into that level of society. But at the same time, I think he would want things to go further. This film can be read in so many different ways, and I've kind of been on the Reddit threads quite a lot, reading into it since I've seen this film, because it's just not left my mind. And there was a thread all about was this all premeditated? Was his intention from the beginning to kill Felix and take the mansion for himself? But a lot of people think that wasn't the case. It's because he got found out by Felix. His lies unraveled. So basic part of the plot is, at the beginning, Oliver tells Felix that his father was killed and also that his mother was a drug addict and he's come from a very poor background. And, you know, all of this turns out to be lies. comes from a perfectly normal, middle-class background and he's embarrassed by that but a lot of it again is tying into his manipulation because he is giving Felix what he thinks he wants and it's this idea of misery porn and I find that quite a fascinating element 
And I think because the game is up at this point and he tries and tries, when he realises that Felix has completely rejected him, there's no way back for him. So he's going to have to return to normality, which he doesn't want to. He's going to lose everything he's worked to worm his way into. And that is kind of the last straw when Felix says to him, you make my blood run cold. That's it. He's, he's dead. And then, as you say, the ending, the climax, it just gets more and more insane. So we have the sister, Venetia, who obviously he manipulates by um, performing a sexual act while she's menstruating to kind of gain her, her trust, I suppose. He also has a bit of a sexual liaison with Farley as well, which another debate audience seem to have about that is, was it consensual? the question of consent thrown up with all that as well everything from there he's basically going to throw all these people under the bus and i think venetia's demise is probably the most disturbing in this film it's the most visceral it's most graphic she basically calls him out for everything describes him as a moth putting his holes in everything and i think that is a perfect analogy for this character it's like she has sussed him out completely and he realises that, yeah, these people are just not going to accept him anymore. The game is up. It's not quite clear whether he murders her or whether he plants a seed for her to commit suicide, but we do see a very horrific image of her pale body submerged in blood in the bath. Quite interesting how it's returned to the bath. And then there's a fantastic scene after Felix's death, prior to Venetia's death, where they're all sat around a table trying to be normal, eating lunch, even though this horrific tragedy has happened in their family. And they're trying to keep up appearances. It's that Britishness of stiff upper lip, let's carry on. And that's uttered by Richard E. Grant's character saying to Farley, like, we don't want your American feelings. You know, we're British, we have to be strong. The butler closes the curtains and you hear the wheeling of the stretcher going past with Felix's body and everyone is just having this meltdown. And Venetia particularly, she's pouring this bottle of wine into her glass and she's just not stopping. And then she's downing this wine. And then I think that's symbolic and foreshadowing what's about to happen to her. So it's those moments, it's just all so cleverly done. And if you go back and watch it, and I personally believe it has rewatchability for this film, I could definitely see it again. Because I think you're going to miss things. And when you really think about it going back, you're going to notice, yes, this is how this happened, this foreshadows this. And I think that's what's really cool about it. It's so intricately done. Yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie, especially the Venetia bit where she pours the red wine down her front, so you've got red running down her. So, yeah, that foreshadows the terrible fate that's in store for her. The scene after Felix's murder, when they are sitting around the table, and Richard E. Grant has been very, very calm up to this point, but then shouts just eat the bloody pie at Farley because he's just had enough. As you say, stiff upper lip, doesn't want to be seen to be grieving too much because of that whole Britishness thing, and then he just snaps at one point. He's had enough, and he's certainly had enough of the American guy. It's like, no, fuck this guy, and just shouts at him. It's really, really well done. As I say, the cast is great in this. You just couldn't have put a better cast together than this. Everybody really puts in a great performance. For people who like The League of Gentlemen or Inside Number 9, Rhys Shearsmith turns up early on as a professor at Oxford in a couple of scenes. So if you like a bit of Rhys, this is the movie for you. He will turn up in the first act. He is there. He is doing good work. 
obviously the guy we haven't mentioned yet, because I've been going on about Rosamund Pike, you've been going about Jacob Elordi, is Barry Keegan in the lead, who is absolutely phenomenal. He's so good in this movie. He really does carry it, because at the start, you kind of feel a little bit sorry for him. He's a little bit downtrodden. But as the movie progresses, you just think, you're a really manipulative little shit, dude. Oh, absolutely. And that is what is just so incredibly satisfying about this because you've been on the journey with him. I don't think we're meant to empathise with him in any way, but we just kind of can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Like, how far is this young man going to go? And another character we haven't mentioned is... I'm trying to think. Was he his roommate? He, uh, he, he may have been his roommate. He's definitely the sort of guy who hangs around with him at college, the mathematician. Yeah, so there is a character who he meets at the beginning because, again, he's very isolated when he comes to university. He's not part of the popular gang and he just kind of ends up with the first geek he comes across. And there's this character and he's studying maths and he's a bit intense, screaming at him to ask him a sum because he can do any sum on the planet. Again, this is quite an early scene and it definitely sets the dark comedy tone. That's such a fun scene to start with. And then you get the scene with Rishi Smith as well. He's on top form as always as this Oxford professor. And again, it's how Oliver's really trying. He's a tryhard, clearly. And he gets knocked down even by his professor because Rishi Smith's character is like, um, you read the whole reading list? You spent your summer reading the Bible? I haven't even read half these books on this list. And I think that is just so fantastic. And it's kind of knocking down this whole image and ideology and pretense you have about people that would go to such a prestigious university. That was quite fun. And then you get the meeting between Oliver and Felix where everything kind of kickstarts. There's this idea that Oliver's got him sussed, what kind of guy he is. He's born into privilege. There is a caring element about him, but at the same time, he is very much out for himself. And he's somebody that everybody admires. And he's very attractive. He's very charming, charismatic. And he is having a sort of no strings relationship with one of the girls on their course. And both Oliver and this girl get stood up by him at the beginning. She then decides to see if she can get off with Oliver and suggests like, oh, do you think Felix would get jealous from us getting it on? When he says, to be honest, I don't think it would even fucking register. He's got his number from the beginning. And the girl storms out because clearly she's not going to get anything out of this situation. All these moments that just builds everything up and it's just fantastic to watch and as I say you can just re-watch this film because there's so much to it but I think we need to kind of fast forward now from beginning to end Venetia's been killed off then the father Sir James White played by Richard E. Grant decides to pay off Oliver to get him out of their lives finally because he doesn't think it's healthy him hanging around especially for his wife who's uh, grieving so off he goes and then we fast forward 15 years which is very interesting and I didn't actually notice it on my first watch but I was reading on reddit and someone said isn't it interesting in the cafe scene at the end that some of the staff in the background are wearing masks so obviously it's indicating the covid period but if you look at the newspaper article that cites the death of Sir James it is 2022 I think it's implied that it's another suicide, but there's some interesting things that I actually want to touch on before we actually talk about the end. I'm sorry, I'm sidetracking a lot here, but there's so much to unpack with this film. 
do we think potentially Oliver had a hand in Sir James's death and also Pamela's? That is something that they leave open-ended. Did he orchestrate these deaths as well as everybody else's? It's an interesting one, and I think you can read it any number of ways. Certainly the meeting between Elspeth and Oliver in the cafe is clearly orchestrated. He knows she's going to be there. Now, whether or not he has recently seen that Sir James has died and he's been biding his time all the while just so that he can get Elspeth in a situation where it's just him and her on their own, that's open to question. Because he's such a murderous little sod, everybody that dies in this movie, you kind of think he might have had a hand in it. Certainly when Pamela dies, you kind of think, okay, she's dead. Um, And there's only one little bit of dialogue because Oliver says something like, oh, what happened to her? And I don't think anybody really explains it, but Elspeth sort of brushes off with said, oh, you know, she'll do anything to get attention, which is really quite cold. I mean, Pamela's died. And that's what she's done to get attention. I mean, she can't get any more attention after that. It does leave you enough space to think about what might have happened. And everybody will come up with a different answer to this one. My first feeling was that he was just bad in his time and Sir James ended up killing himself. It is heavily implied that he took his own life because Elspeth says something like, oh, you know, it was... I don't think she says something like it was just a matter of time, but it's kind of implied that he's been on the wane for a long time. And at that point, that's left the door open for Oliver to get back into Elspeth's life and then trigger the final quite dark moments of this movie. Yeah, so actually when I was saying Venetia's death is probably the most disturbing, I don't know, maybe Elspeth's death is equally as in a different way. My first thought on this, because... She invites him back to Saltburn and he then goes on into a monologue. Um, it's a monologue that we've basically began with as the film opened and we're just getting to that crescendo of it. And he said it's been a pleasure looking after her for all this time. He managed to get Elspeth to sign all her assets over to him uh, in the event of her death and she does become ill. Now, we don't know again, has he made her ill or is it the effect of COVID? And it's quite an interesting one, because had it been set in 2020, this scene or 2021, especially if they'd set it in the early days of COVID, you'd think, oh, yeah, this is what it is. But 2022, we were kind of coming out of it, vaccinations were in place. Then we don't know the backgrounds of these characters, whether they would have been anti-vax. We don't, there's just so much, there's too much to unpack and think about. And you can really, really get into the nitty gritty with all this. She's on a ventilator and there's, again, some scenes that are incredibly dark as fuck where you think, oh my God, is he going to interfere with her unconscious body? You do get that impression. It is hinted at. He pulls the sheet off where you think, oh no, he's already fucked a grave. What the hell is he going to do next? (laughs) But then when he does graphically pull out her breathing tube, that is very, very disturbing and ends her life and essentially he's got what he wanted he's he's living that life of privilege and wealth and he's been a nasty little bastard and manipulated his way to get what he wants and the movie ends with a naked dance routine to Sophie Alice Baxter's murder on the dance floor which is absolute perfection my mum actually wanted me to say on the podcast she said this is the best ending scene to a movie ever (laughs) 
it does I promise to say that. <laughs> it it does do the housewalk in reverse because early on Felix takes you through the house by means of introducing Oliver to the place and it's kind of an inverse version of that set to Sophie Ellis Baxter. It is a very twisted and quite amusing way to end the movie. You know, he dances around the house naked a bit, you get some Sophie Ellis Baxter, and then that's it. Roll credits, salt burns over. And then you're just left there to think, okay, what was the experience like? For some people, obviously a bit too much. I think maybe my view of Saltburn will possibly change after I've seen it a bit more because there is a lot of stuff going on. There are things that you will clearly miss because there's lots and lots of different ways it foreshadows events. There's lots and lots of detail in the background that you clearly won't pick up on one viewing. My initial thought was that it is slightly less focused than Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman is very tightly scripted and it's got a very heart-hitting point to make. And it's a rape-revenge thriller that really doesn't focus on either the rape or the revenge in the way that you think it will. It's very cleverly done. And Kerry Mulligan is great in it. Her performance is amazing. It's kind of similar to Barry Keegan's performance in this, in the way that, you know, they have one person pretty much carry the whole thing and then everybody is just in their orbit. I think with Saltburn, there is a certain amount of emptiness in it, but that's purposely done. Some of it is meant to be empty because you're looking at these people's lives and they're very privileged. They don't do an awful lot other than sit around all day or sunbathe. So the plot is telling you that some of it is going to be empty. I don't think the movie is empty, but there's a certain amount of vacuousness to these people's lives and they just treat it as normal. You know, there's nothing else for them to do. They don't hold down jobs. They don't have any meaningful side quests to do. You'd think that they might get involved in charity or something. You never see them get involved in any of that. They just seem to have dinner in black tie every evening and then wander around the garden and talk about the hydrangeas. It's a level of society that most of us will never get to experience. But for people to say the movie's empty, I don't think it is. I think it's a lot deeper than a lot of people give it credit for. I know that it's been on quite a few people's best of lists for 2023 and I can completely see why. It's one of those movies that I think it's gonna change over time in my relationship with it. I don't think I'm suddenly going to hate the movie. I don't think it's got that potential for me to suddenly think, oh no, I've suddenly seen through all of this stuff, it's rubbish, I don't like it anymore. But I think it's going to be one of those movies where, depending on how I feel when I come into it, I'm going to have a different feeling leaving Saltburn every time I watch it. And that's interesting when you watch a movie. You don't want to be in a movie situation where every time you watch it, you just think, well, I'm going to feel the same way coming out of the other side of this. This is just so twisted and so weird and has so many strange angles to what it's doing and has characters that are at once quite tragic but also hilarious at the same time that me now saying that I don't think it's a masterpiece, who knows, a couple of years' time, I could be coming back and saying... Actually, no, I've seen it a few more times. It is a masterpiece. So 
I would rather be watching a movie like this where every time I'm approaching it, you get something different out of it than just going and thinking, oh, well, it's the same old shit and I know what I'm getting here. And I'll come out of it thinking, yeah, it's fine. It's a movie. At least this has got something different going for it. And even if it didn't all land for me, the bits that did land for me were far better than a lot of the stuff I'd seen in 2023. See, I'm already there. I do view this as a masterpiece because this ticked all my boxes and I'm just enthralled by this film and I can't wait for my next rewatch. I don't normally watch the same movie <laughs> twice in one day. To be fair, I don't get the chance to watch a lot of movies as much as I used to, just based on being a parent of a toddler. So life is a bit chaotic for me. But the fact that I managed to watch this twice in one day and I was excited to see it again... I keep telling everybody to watch it and everyone I've spoken to that's watched so far, like in real life, they've come back to me the saying they absolutely loved it. It's addictive viewing, I think. It's a very addictive film. We've discussed about how it's a comedy, it's a satire, how it's a love story, how it's got a commentary about class. Also, another interesting take on this film, and Emerald Fennell has said it herself, it is a vampire film without being supernatural. And I think that is incredibly cool. The actual logo for Saltburn when it comes up on screen the title card it's the same as one of the old Dracula films I think somebody pointed that out online and compared it so you know it's giving you that and he he is a vampire he he's sucking the life force out of these people for his own game that is how this is a vampire film and also you know he says when he's about to taste the menstrual blood <laughs> he is a he's a vampire yeah and you're like yes yeah yeah you are yeah I don't think I have seen a scene like that in a movie. I have to be honest. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure I would have where it's specifically focusing on menstruation in a sexual way. But yeah. (laughs) There is a reference to it. There's a scene in National Lampoon's Class Reunion, which is an early 80s movie. It's not a very good movie. But one of the characters is actually a vampire. And he is chatting up one of the people that he was at high school with and she says something like oh you know i wish we could be together but i'm sorry it's my time of the month but this guy's a vampire so he just gives this like really suggestive look to the camera it's a disgusting joke it's the best joke in national lampoon's class reunion it's the only joke i remember from that movie that's an example of where that's been used elsewhere not the same as Saltburn. I just wanted to cram in the National Lampoon's Class Reunion joke because it's probably the only time it's ever going to get mentioned on any podcast in the history of the world ever because it's a crap movie. Yes, it's definitely a vampire movie. I am completely on board with that. It is a love story, and I think he isn't going out to kill Felix. I genuinely think that Oliver, his endgame is for him and Felix to end up at Saltburn with everybody else out of the way. Now, that comes crashing down when Felix finds out things about Oliver that he shouldn't, and there is no other way out but to kill him. But at the start of the plot, I think that Oliver is trying to get with Felix so that they can share Saltburn together. That's my theory on it. It might be wrong, but that's my theory. Yeah, it's a bonus, I think. I think he's already drawn to this guy. I mean, who would I obviously am. I would run off to Saltburn with Felix. I know he's probably considerably younger than me, but, you know... I will make an exception. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a case of he does love him. He's really drawn to him. He'd like to be with him. 
and it's just the icing on the cake that he is going to inherit this massive mansion one day that he has all this money they would never have to work for anything and even though they're highly educated people being at oxford i mean he doesn't really have to work in the academic sense to get what he wants at the end one of my favorite scenes of or sequences of the whole movie is the midsummer night's dream party where everything unravels because it looks absolutely gorgeous just the aesthetic of the piece the fact that everyone's got these fairy wings on that those beautiful like water lanterns on the lake and just just all of it is so beautiful and it's compiled with this tragedy happening as well in this maze and i just think it's incredibly shot and it is tapping into that whole it's a shakespearean tragedy it actually gave me romeo and juliet vibes of the basilum and one i think of that modern day shakespearean take so there's quite a lot going on here there's so many different elements piecing together i mean i think i could talk about this film all night i'll find something new to talk about when i rewatch it i'm sure i'll see something again and be like oh i'm gutted i didn't bring that up in the podcast <laughs> it's just one of those and i just think it just really provoked me but in a good way yeah did i think some of the scenes were shocking they didn't shock me as such i knew that we were going to be going to this uncomfortable territory but i was ready to roll with it i was ready just to keep my eyes on the screen and not be grossed out by anything it is gross out but i don't know if it's weird me saying that i i didn't feel completely repulsed by it all i could watch it because usually i steer away from anything kind of too disturbing there's some movies that i probably wouldn't go near but this one does everything how it should and i have to confess i have not seen promising young woman but i really really am excited to see it because i want to see more of emerald fennell's work and i want to see what came before Saltburn, just to kind of see how they compare. It'd be really interesting. And, you know, Carrie Mulligan, she's fantastic in Saltburn, fantastic actress anyway. So quite excited to see her taking the lead role in Promising Young Woman. So I really, really need to get onto that. I've heard, again, great things. It was one that was on my radar, just didn't happen to get around to it. So I feel I really need to see that. And I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on Emerald Fennell's work because I think she is a promising director she is a promising young woman yeah filmmaker just everything (laughs) yeah as a filmmaker she's really got uh, the chops to succeed it looks beautiful saltburn it's really well shot it's really well acted it's the sumptuous follow-up to what's the fairly low budget quickly shot gritty piece that promising young woman is i think it was about 23 days they shot promising young woman in this is movie making where they've obviously had a bit more time to get nicer locations and sort of soak up the atmosphere and she does it very very well so really where is she going from here what's she going to do in the third movie how is she going to blow people away for a third time yeah it's going to be very very interesting to see and i think we'll all be going in with high expectations but i'm sure she will deliver something really cool to close off one of my favorite scenes in this film and this is just you know it's probably so insignificant but it's the scene where they're kind of informal we're playing tennis and drinking champagne from the bottle that carefree teenage summer the time period for me it's set during my sixth form era so obviously i wasn't quite at university by that point but it's just kind of set at that time and it's just the music and it's just the nostalgia it brings that out into it as well what an incredible movie beautiful to look at you just have to digest all this film because there's just so much going on and there'll be so much more to discover on repeat viewings 
But before we go, obviously we have to do our HD tradition of giving you the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes rating. So currently it holds a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb and on Rotten Tomatoes it has a 71% Tomato Mesa, critics are feeling good, and a 79% audience score. We're kind of on the same wavelength with this one between audience and critics. So it's definitely towards being a great film. I think, as you say, it is divisive. Not everyone's going to love it. It might be a bit Marmite. But on the whole, I find people that are genre fans that I've like seen a comment about it online and people that I know in real life, they've definitely embraced this film and loved it for what it is. You can boil it down to this as to whether or not you're going to get offended. If you saw somebody drinking some bathwater with some jizz in it, how would you react to it? Yeah, that's the question you've got to ask yourself. And they are even making candles that are called Jacob Lordy's bathwater. And I've said to Darren, he's ever stuck for a gift idea for me. He knows where to go. You just type it into Etsy. I just, I'd be so curious to see how that smells. And maybe I'd even take a bath and light the candle. Who knows? I mean, what's it supposed to smell of? Is it supposed to smell of actual Jacob Elordi or is it smells of the bathwater after he's, you know, done his gentleman's business yeah. in it? Yeah. Are you kind of tempted to find out? I'm not sure I am tempted to find out. <laughs> is there a market for candles that smell of jizz? I'm not sure. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have candles that smell of jizz. It's not my thing. But you know, I'm guessing that there are people out there that would think, you know what, I'm going to give that a shot. It might have like a sea salt kind of smell to it, I'm wondering. <laughs> that, that's, what I, that, that's what I'm imagining. It makes you think you're at the beach. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 122 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to find us on social media, your best bet is Instagram or X, because we no longer have a Facebook. So just before we closed off the end of the year, we both received notifications on our Facebook group saying that I think had we gone against guidelines of some way, something to do with copyright, it yeah. was very bizarre. And that day I had to get to work, so I had no time to debate this claim. And then our group completely vanished off the face of the internet. So unfortunately, we are not on Facebook at the moment. We might revive ourselves on there. But for now, stick to X and Instagram. Darren does also post our episodes on the group on Facebook for the Strong Language and Violent Scenes podcast. So I would just recommend joining there for the time being. Yeah, so we are kind of on Facebook but we're not really either. So we may come back on it, but for the moment, X and Instagram is where it's at. I'm not going not gonna to go into a long rant on Facebook. It's just not worth it. I don't know how we got kicked off. I don't know what we infringed. It's been there for years. All of a sudden, they had a problem with it. Anyway, let's turn to happier topics. And it's the next episode. And in the next episode... We are covering a movie that is a first watch for both of us. Yeah, amazingly so. And I also forgot to add that I saw Saltburn before Darren did, and that never happens. I saw a movie before Darren, so I'm very proud of myself. But yeah, this one will be a first time watch for us both, so we're going in with... Well, we, we have a little kind of gist of what this is going to entail. 
The movie that we are going to be talking about, it's available on Netflix. It's recently been added, but it is a 2019 film and it is The Lodge. Never seen it. It's by the same directing partnership that did Goodnight Mommy. So I'm looking forward to it with reservations because Goodnight Mommy was quite dark. I hear The Lodge is quite dark as well. So just how dark? We'll find out in the next episode. Yeah, we'll see if we've got strong stomachs for it that we had for baths full of jizz water. Yes, absolutely. So, until then, stay safe everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.